0: G'day and welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. Darren Mitchell on this Friday, the 3rd of June, 2022. And I trust wherever you are in the world, you've had a phenomenal week in sales and sales leadership that every post has been a winner for your team and you're doing so well, so tired, so fatigued that you're going to need a break and you get to have two days off over the weekend to reflect, to re-energize and get ready to reload for another massive week in sales Next week. So once again, thank you for plugging into the podcast. If you are brand new to the show, welcome. Hopefully uh, there's something in this episode today that will pique your interest, that will be valuable to you and to your sales team that uh, will incent you to come back and listen to another episode next week, but also maybe check out some of the back catalogue because today is episode 442. So there's a fair number of episodes to go through on the various platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on. And of course, if you are a returning Listener, I greatly appreciate you listening in, and hopefully I continue to provide value to you and your sales team. So uh, with that said, let's get into today's topic, and I alluded to this a couple of days ago. Yesterday's episode was all about the leadership shadow, and uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about account planning and how to make selling a little bit more predictable. Now, there's probably going to be a number of podcasts I will record over the next week or so in relation to account planning, but it's fair to say with with my background, having been in sales for over twenty years and running sales teams for ten and since uh, since two thousand and really two thousand and fifteen working a lot with sales teams in and around their planning, their strategic approaches to accounts, their pitching, their messaging uh, it's uh, I'm flabbergasted even today as I reflect back on the time that I've spent working with sales teams over the last seven years in particular. The number of sales teams, even today, that still do not uh, do enough planning. They leave their success to chance. Now, very little, if any, account planning goes into the sales campaign. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule, and there are some organizations out there that do this very, very well, and there are some exceptional sales leaders and sales teams that also do this exceptionally well. But the vast majority uh, is its just flabbergasting leave their success to chance. And look, some, some will catch lightning in a bottle, some will get lucky. They just happen to be in the right place at the right time, catching the buyer in the right at the right time in terms of their buying cycle, not necessarily in our sales cycle, but at the buying cycle, so that they're, they're just there at the right time for them to crunch a deal. Uh, however, many don't. Many do not have the opportunity of catching lightning in a bottle, which means we have to think about what are the things that we should be putting in place to make it easier, or at least stack the odds in their favor to make it easier for us to create more predictability in our selling? And certainly from a strategic selling point of view, account planning is crucial to sustainable success. Now, the other thing I'll say here is when I mention account planning to many organizations, and uh, certainly when I do sales training or go to conferences and I, and I use the term account planning, it's almost like you can hear this, oh, what do we have to do this for? It's And for many salespeople, it's very onerous because, hey, it can take a lot of time. And I've come from a background working at some big telecommunications companies, being at Telstra and Optus here in Australia, that uh, account planning, uh, let's just say account planning was a methodology that the organization wanted to implement. The only problem was it was like the account plan of the month type of approach. It kept changing because the sales directors and senior directors couldn't decide on a consistent approach to account planning. So there were people continuing trying to create things and over a period of time it became more and more complicated to the point where I have seen some account plans that are more than 70 pages long. Now if you're sitting there thinking, well you know, I'm not going to be doing an account plan that long, I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm going to do is give you some information and some some tips on some of the core areas over the next week or so to think about when it comes to account planning. And from an account planning point of view, I call this macro planning. And just getting a much better understanding of the customers and the potential customers you're gonna hopefully be doing business with, which will stack the odds in your favor. It'll also help you with your messaging and through that process will make your selling process and the ability to sell, certainly strategic solutions a lot more predictable. Now, when when uh, when I ask sales teams as to who has an account plan, it's a very, very wide spectrum of responses that I get. Now, it runs from one end of the spectrum where there are people saying, yep, 100%, I have got an account plan. I've been maintaining an account plan. And without my account plan, I know that I couldn't be successful. So it's like 100% dedicated to account planning to, yeah, I think I've got an account plan to write through to, yeah, I've got a good relationship with my customer and right through to the other end of the spectrum, and I can't believe I actually hear this sometimes, but they, I often get the, the response, what is an account plan? Now, that tells me a lot about the environment that particular sales executive is working in, and it's not necessarily that sales executive's fault. Uh, i would be pointing the finger squarely at the organization and specifically the sales leader in that organization as to why they haven't started to have the conversations or develop the discipline around account planning. Now, when the when you do have an account plan in place, it actually significantly impre- increases and improves the predictability of your results. Now, we know this, and this is an intuitive thing that you're probably sitting there thinking, yep, I get this, that in order to position ourselves and in order to elevate ourselves above our competition, we must take a more strategic view of our accounts, of our potential accounts. Now, here's the thing. If you're in a sales position right now where you have a 100 accounts in your portfolio, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying do a detailed account plan for every single account. However, there will be a certain number of accounts that you would consider to be your tier A accounts or tier B accounts, whatever the case might be. You might have a one, two, three sort of tiering system. There will be a percentage of your accounts that you consider to be more strategic and these are the ones you need to spend a bit more time on analyzing. And I want to talk about one specific element of account planning today being stakeholder management and stakeholder analysis. Because if there's one thing I know more than anything else, it's that account teams are not spending near enough time analyzing their customers or knowing their customers as well as they could. Now it's interesting, when I was running sales teams, I used to have sales executives come to me and say, oh, I've got a great relationship with this particular customer. Now, I used to always ask the question, how do you know? And for many of them, it was a really difficult question to answer because they couldn't actually put their finger on exactly why they thought they had a great relationship. They would uh, would go and have coffees with them. They appeared to be uh, amenable to the ideas. But in a lot of cases, they didn't necessarily turn that relationship into hard, factual sales. And so I had many situations where I was uh, providing forecasts up to my general manager and my director of sales uh, based on I guess the input and the feedback from account executives who believe they had a great relationship with their customer that they would get this deal over the line. And when you put a forecast in place, it basically is known as a commit. So once you've committed to it, you've got to deliver it. And when some of these deals didn't happen and we started to forensically analyze why they didn't happen, a lot of it came down to the account executive didn't have as good a relationship as they thought they had or the relationship they had within the business was actually a one-dimensional relationship. So the first question i ask ourselves when it comes to stakeholder management as part of an account plan is how well do you know your customers? How well do you actually know them? Now, it's one thing to know their name, it's one thing to know their title, but there's a whole host of other things we need to really get granular on in terms of understanding what makes them tick within that organization and what is their positioning within that organization. So from a stakeholder management and analysis perspective, we really get uh, understand what are the key elements that we need to get uh, focused on so that we can maximize the opportunities of building great relationships so that when we do say to our senior executives, yep, we've got a great relationship, we can actually demonstrate as to why we've got that great relationship and back it up with evidence to support that, so and this goes beyond the name, title, and role in the business. So one of the key things is obviously you need to know the key people you're dealing with. So uh, who is who are they? What is their title? Uh, you might even want to understand how long they've been at the business and what brings them to the business. Uh, what is their role in the business as well? So what is their what is their positioning? Are they the chief information officer, chief executive officer, chief information officer? Are they the head of sales, are they head of engineering? What, what is their role within the, within the business? That's the first thing, which is a bit of a surface level thing, but it's some basic information that all of us need to get really uh, conscious of. The second thing is to think about is what is their actual role in the decision? Now this is a, a challenge, it can be a challenging situation for many sales executives because it does require us to develop a bit of an understanding in terms of how they position within the organization in terms of the role in any decision making. Now often, I've I've had this myself and I've had many of my account executives in this position and they think they're dealing with the person who is the key decision maker and the person who they're dealing with will give them every indication that they are the decision maker but when it comes to the actual final decision in a deal, it is any, anybody other than them. They may well be a contributor to a decision, they might be an information gatherer, they may be an internal influencer but they may not necessarily be the key decision maker. So it's fundamental that we need to understand what is their role in any decisions that they're making within the organization because we need to know that because uh, that will help form our strategy and the tactics we have in relation to the sales campaigns. The next bit of information we need to get really granular on is what is their current position. Now by this, this is not the title or their positioning within the organization. This is an analysis that sometimes is subjective, but we need to quantify this and sometimes challenge this. It's what is their position within the organization insofar as how they see us and how they see our organization. So would you consider these people to be a key decision maker, an influencer? Are they an advocate? Are they a raving fan? Are they a detractor? Or are they somebody who is neutral? So getting really granular on this is really important because it helps understand uh, and form a bit of a picture in terms of maybe some informal decision-making trees that exist within your customer's organization, which may be different. To your natural hierarchical structure that sits within the organisation, so this might require some uh, some pretty detailed conversations. It might actually require building your relationships with others to try and figure out how is the person you're dealing with as a key contact being received and being perceived within the organisation, and that can often give you a bit of an insight in terms of where they sit in terms of their current position. So that's the first thing: know where the reality is, what what their current position is right now. After that. Based on where you think their current position is and have that tested, we need to think about what is their desired position. So in order for us to get a decision out of this organization and to maximize the opportunity of getting the deal in the in the frame that we want, what is the desired position that you want to have these particular people in? Is it that you want to turn a neutral into an advocate? Is it where you want to move a detractor to a neutral or in some cases move a detractor? to an advocate. So we've got to be really clear on because this will also help form some of the strategies we need to put in place around relationships in particular so that we can actually stack the odds in our favor of getting a deal across the line because there's so many deals over my career that have been gazumped at the last moment because you think you've got or we thought we had a great position within the organization, we thought we had all the bases covered but there was one or two key people that had been waging a campaign behind the scenes that we didn't know about. That ended up gazumping us at the final, at the final hurdle, which is uh, which is not the position we want. So if we had have done the analysis appropriately and understood what the desired position of these people were, uh, and more importantly, really verified their current position, we would have saved ourselves a hell of a lot of pain. So they're they're the key things. The other thing to think about is what what values do they hold and what motivates them to make decisions. Now I often ask this of sales teams in terms of why they in sales and sales leaders ask exactly the same question. Why are they in sales leadership and what brings them to the table and what keeps them coming back every single day? This is as equally important, if not more important, when it comes to strategic selling. What is it that motivates your key contacts within your organization to make the decisions that they make and what motivates them? And this comes from a guy called JP Morgan, US industrialist, who was quoted as saying many, many years ago, there are two, two reasons why people do anything. One is they do it for the right reasons, and then they do it for the real reasons. So they're the only two reasons, the right reasons and the real reasons. And what's interesting with this is people often make decisions based on rational reasons. They will make decisions based on emotional reasons, but they'll also make decisions based on political and cultural reasons as well. So it's key to us to find out what is what is it that motivates these people. Are they a rational-type decision-maker? Are they emotional-type decision-makers, or are they a politically-cultural decision Kind of decision maker, which means things like, well, we've always we've always uh, worked with supply X. So many years ago, when I was in telco, it used to be a bit of a catchphrase within any organisation that no senior executive with any organisation had ever been sacked for doing business with IBM, as an example. Now, that was, that was an example of a political or cultural decision that often IBM back then was considered to be a safe bet. So that would be an example of a political or cultural decision or motivation factor. So if you were going up against IBM in, in a competitive sense, you had to come up with some ideas to actually gazump that or get around that so that you could tap into some motivations that were not political or cultural to give yourself every opportunity of beating IBM, which was a very, very difficult situation. So when you're sitting down analyzing your key contacts, think about what actually motivates them. And if you're not sure, ask them. Ask them why they're in the business that they're in. Ask them what motivates them to make decisions that they make. What are some of the challenges they have to overcome? Because that will give you an insight in terms of how they actually make their decisions, which can give you a bit of an insight in terms of are they a rational-led type of person or an emotional type of person? Because we also have to recognize that when it comes to decision-making, about 30% of all decisions are made based on rational basis, and 70% are made on emotional, political, and cultural. So when you're formulating your account strategy, it's very, very important to understand what motivates, first of all, your team uh, and your, the team you're dealing with, obviously, in your in your organization you're trying to sell to, but also understand that most of the decisions are going to be based on emotional levels, and they're going to try and rationalize those decisions. But if you're formulating a strategy based on a rational reason as to why they should purchase then remember, you've only got a 30% possible chance of getting uh, cut through based on most people making decisions 30% of the time based on rationality. So tap into the emotional stuff. So if you can know this with your stakeholders, so this is really important. Know your customers, know, go beyond their name, their title or role in the business. What is the role in the decision? So are they a decision maker? um are they just an information gatherer also understand what their current position is in terms of are they an influencer decision maker advocate neutral detractor etc but also consider what your desired position is and then consider what they value and what motivates them now if you can do that you'll be in the vast minority of account executives and sales leaders who actually do this analysis and by that through that process you'll actually position yourself with a lot more information and stack the odds in your favor of, of formulating a strategies and tactics and a, st- a strategic plan in order to get the best result you possibly can. Now, the other key part of this uh, is an informal stakeholder map. So once you've done all of this analysis, what I've often got sales execs to do and sales leaders is to really sit down and look at the hierarchy of the customer they're dealing with. And you've got the formal hierarchy in terms of who le- who reports to who, but also it's important to, to come up with the informal hierarchy as well. And this is more about once you've done the analysis on what the desired positions are of the key people within the organization, creating an informal stakeholder map with lines of influence is really important because depending on the relationships that exist within the customer you're dealing with, there could be certain people that are sitting at an individual contributor level who are influencing key decision makers within the business. So if we are not covering those and we're not aware of those, then any strategies we put in place, any proposals we put in place can actually be gazumped by people who we're not covering because they become blind to us. So thinking about who are the key people within the organization who you need to know, who you need to get to know, and understand where their influence sits is a critical element that will, again, stack the odds in our favor of getting the deals that we want to get done. So here's here's the crux of it. In order for us to make selling more predictable, we need to become multidimensional. So most sales executives will have what I call one-dimensional relationships with customers. I'll have one or two key people they deal with on a regular basis who they feel comfortable with. And that is their, I guess, their zone of genius for want of a better term, where they'll spend all of their time and they'll hope they'll be able to get results through those people. Now, what happens if those people leave? Well, all of a sudden we're left a massive vortex that uh, sometimes is very difficult to feel so, what we need to get is we need to get multi-dimensional. So this analysis, by looking at the stakeholder groups, by looking at the informal stakeholder map, will shine a light on the importance of multi-dimensional relationships within your customers, and it will begin to make selling significantly more predictable. And so that's the challenge for today. If you or your sales team have not sat down and done this analysis, then I highly, highly recommend that you do. And if you're looking for a template to use, please send me an email, darren at darrenmitchell.com.au and i will be more than happy to send you a template with uh, stakeholder management and the stakeholder map on it. So I trust that message resonates and it makes sense and I hope that adds value to you and also to your sales team. So with that said, hope you have a phenomenal weekend and as always, look forward to sharing with you on the very next episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar. Go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.